the screen together as is our custom and let's begin with that beautiful, beautiful Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, we are going to look today to the topic entitled, Someone is Praying for Me. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I was going to take a, a couple of the weeks as we close out the year to, um, as we finished fullness, to just talk about a couple of things that I try to preach every year. Um, I, for all of the years, there's been very few years, if any, that we've missed talking about this idea of someone is praying for me. Last week, or was it before last week before last, um, we talked about helping our, fe our uh, fellow believer. And uh, we talked about five ways to make life better for our brothers and sisters. Those are a couple of things that we try to touch on every year. And I want to do that today. The outline won't be new to you, but the emphasis I want um, to share today is last night uh, as I was here at the program, and boy, I tell you, um, I, I had to fight back tears um, and then I, after I fought back tears for about a half hour, I thought, why am I fighting this? I need to just cave in. And before I went to bed, I was in, in tears. But the reason I was in tears was not a bad thing. Not all tears are evil. Not all tears are, are bad. Um, but I noticed that when children would come up, um, I, I thought, oh, that's and then I said, no, that can't be so-and-so because so-and-so has got to be 35 years old now. Uh, and what I began to realize is that I was watching children um, perform and express their love for Jesus. And those were children that probably I had dedicated. And in a lot of cases, I dedicated their mamas and daddies. And I was so touched by generations. Our goal is to... Uh, build godly generations. And I was so touched that you could see in the physical countenance, these are our children. Some of them are new, of course, but they're still ours. Um, in fact, somebody asked me one time, what do I need to do to be a part of the church? And I said, just let us look at you just because then you're stuck. But not only, not only were we seeing it in children, but we saw grandmas and grandpas. We saw parents that have grown up in the church or have, and some were old timers, some were newcomers, but everybody's been brought into this fellowship. And I just went to sleep last night thinking how blessed we are to have a, a heritage and to have a legacy. And when I talk about someone is praying for me for years, I have preached this message and um, I preached it at every church I've pastored. I, I, I have preached this message since I was in my early 20s. I believe it's that foundational. And the emphasis of it has been, there are three prayers going on for you 
nonstop. You are never without prayer. And it's, you'd be surprised how difficult it is to convince Christians that that's the truth because we fight so many battles with feeling alone, feeling neglected, feeling rejected. And um, it's just not true. God has a triad. You know, in, in uh, the military, they say there's a triad of nuclear defense, meaning that we have nuclear weapons, which may not be a wonderful thing to talk about at Christmas, but we have nuclear weapons that are land-based land and silos and missile launchers. Then we have nuclear weapons that are carried by airplanes. Then we have nuclear weapons that can be fired from submarine. And the idea, it's called the triad. And, and it's saying that there's a three-stepped uh, overlapping protection that keeps us safe. And I, God thought of a triad long before the military did. And he has three levels of prayer. And I know this is very, very simple, but I think we need to open our hearts to let the power of it explode into our thinking. Um, the other thing that will be a little bit different is we won't just be getting information, but we're asking, and this is my prayer, I've been praying this for two weeks, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see something today that will change the way you pray. Before we've emphasized, have faith, you're being prayed for, and we want that to happen today. That's still a strong emphasis in the message. But I believe that God is wanting us to get through things, but I also believe he wants us to understand that we go through it together. Uh, in the new year, we're going to begin an, uh, a series um, you know, we did fullness this year. Our emphasis for 2023 is this present time. It's a challenge to live in this present time uh, because this present time requires us to walk in a balance of this world and the next world. Uh, we can't just live this world in light of this world. We have to live this world in light of the next world. And um, uh, we, you know, we... we we have a tendency to swing back and forth. Some people say, well, the Bible says that in the last days things are going to get worse and worse, and it does. You know, and it shall come to pass in the last days that evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, both deceiving and being deceived. And, and it just is horrible. There's, there's um, a, a personage coming uh, known as the Antichrist. There's already a spirit of Antichrist. In the world, there's already false teachers of Antichrist in the world, the Apostle John told us. And we are to be on guard. We're to realize that there is time of great adversity coming. But oftentimes, just within a few verses, there is what appears to be conflicting, you know. Um, in the last days, I will, you know, the, the same last days where evil men and seducers, yeah, same ones. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. <clears throat> my sons, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams your, or, or uh, have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And upon handmaiden and wealthy person alike, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Now, it's not that God's trying to decide which way he's going to go. <clears throat> but God, and that's just one example God is telling us this present time, you say, 
This present time. Yeah, Paul understood this present time. He said, I am convinced. I reckon, he said in uh, translated in King James, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, this present time, uh, Frank Peretti wrote a great book years ago, This Present Darkness. And it is this present darkness, but it's also a time of this present light. And loved ones, what God is after is to help us decide which prophecies we're going to fulfill. There are going to be some that fulfill darkness. There are going to be some that fulfill light. And we need to learn how to live in that tension of this present time where the kingdom is, but it's not yet. God has done victory after victory, but there are ultimate victories that lie ahead. And I think that if we can just begin to wrap our spiritual heads around how to live in this present time, it'll make all the difference in the world. And that's, that's what we're going to begin. And what God has been putting on my heart is that we need to learn how to get through, but we need to learn how to get through together. Uh, in other words, I don't want to just talk about the good news that you are prayed for. I do hope that I communicate that well. But I want you to also understand there is a great responsibility to pray for each other. Now, I, I, I hope none of us will say yes, I'm guilty of this. But I've got to tell you, I'm guilty. So I've already ruined the percentage. But sometimes when we deal with people, we feel like we want to ask the question, you know, can I even help these folks? Are, are, are they going to pay any attention to what we try to do for them? You, you feel like you're dragging folks along sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about anybody in here. I'm talking about folks that um, are out there. But, but I'll t and I'm not talking about the live stream audience either. I'm talking about... You know, you know what I'm trying to say. We all feel that way at times in, in the most unlikely and unloving ways. But I want us to begin to understand that we are dealing with people that have an incredible weight of glory on them. They have an incredible destiny ahead of them for good or evil. And C.S. Lewis began to understand this uh, uh, as he approached old age. He said, I've begun to understand that I've never met a mere mortal. There are, everybody I meet has an eternal destiny that is beyond description. And it is my job to stand shoulder to shoulder and help them to their destiny. Um, I, I remember uh, probably 30 years ago, uh, maybe a little longer, I was going through one of the toughest times that I'd ever been through in my life up to that point. And I, you know, I was praying, I was praying in the spirit, I was praying in English, I was doing everything I knew, and I just didn't even know how to pray. I, I, I couldn't get my head around anything uh, to pray. It, it, the consequences were, were pretty profound. And I said, Lord, you've always helped me. You've never left me hanging. I need you to show me how to pray. And I prayed for off and on for a few days. But then I gave about a day and a half to, Lord, show me how to pray. I want to pray the will of the Father. 
Show me how to pray. And then I had this moment where I felt like God was just about to answer me and it was going to be undeniable. And this is what he said. He said, this is what I want you to pray intensely until it happens. And I got all set for a deliverance prayer. And he said, this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray, Lord, raise up people to pray for me. I, this was too important to hand off to other people. I wanted it from his mouth. What do I pray? And then it came again. Here's your prayer. Lord, raise up people to pray for me. And he so burrowed that into my heart that for the next, oh, I don't know how long it, uh, it took, but I just began to pray, Lord, would you raise up people to pray for me? Would you, would you touch godly people to pray for me? And then as I would keep praying and when I would begin to doubt, I'd remember things like the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And God, the Spirit was helping me. And a strange thing happened within hours. We began to get phone calls. There was no email or texting in those days. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the president Lincoln had just gotten through with the war and he didn't have time to, to fool with any of that, but there were no texting or, or, um, or, or emails, but the phone began to ring systematically and regularly for the next few days. Pastor, I don't know what it is, but something's going on because God woke me up in the middle of the night. And normally when somebody says I was up all night praying for you, I feel bad that there's something that I, I kept them up over. But you know what I've learned? I've learned to say, oh, they probably sleep too much anyway. It, I, I will take prayer any way I can get it. And we began to say thank you. People that, that I didn't even know well at the time that were phenomenal prayer warriors said, God woke me up to pray. God spoke my heart to pray. And I began to get mail from people in the church or they would speak to me after service. Um, I began to get letters from people that I wasn't even their pastor anymore. But God had spoken to them and other churches. And they said, we're praying for you. A handful of people said, this is what the Lord says. And it was very encouraging. But most of them was just, I'm praying for you. And God came through beautifully. He came through beautifully. But I want to tell you, the whole thing turned when God showed me the importance of getting people to pray for me. Um, I told you one time, I don't mean to just say old things, but there was an internationally successful evangelist that I went to hear. And, um, and I loved him. Uh, I, I had answered the call of God under his ministry. I, I thought so much of him and, and, and still do. That's not the issue but he said something, I heard it as a senior in high school, or I just graduated, about to go to college. It puzzled me. Somebody said, brother so-and-so, how can we pray for you? And he said something that sounded noble, but I knew, I knew in my heart, not being judgmental, something in my heart went off that there's broken. There's something broken in this person's spirit. He said, well, he said, to tell you the truth, I have a pretty good prayer life myself. I don't really feel like I need anybody to pray for me. He said, but if you could pray for finances, the finances are staggering. The finances are overwhelming. And everybody said, yes, we'll pray for the finances. And I thought, there's something wrong. 
<laughs> something wrong with a mindset that says, I don't need prayer. Paul in several of his epistles said, please pray for me. In fact, listen to what he wrote in Romans 1530. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ to join my struggle. Now, he described, and that's a pretty good description of life and what we go through a struggle. And there's a dozen ways we can help people with their struggle. Maybe take them a meal, maybe give them a financial gift. I mean, there's, just, there's dozens of ways we can help. But he was very, very specific. He said, join my struggle. How? By praying to God for me. Paul was a man raising the dead. Paul was a man that visited the third heavens. Paul was a man that is responsible for the majority uh, or at least a lot of the New Testament just by volume. Here's a man with a phenomenal revelation. In fact, one of the reasons he went to the third heaven one time was that he had so many revelations and so many visions and dreams. He said, I was in danger of being caught up in pride. I mean, here was a guy that you wouldn't think needed prayer but he said, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, join my struggle in prayer. And that leads to a quote that we've uttered around here the whole time I've been here. It's become part of our culture. Some things happen when we pray that do not happen if we do not pray. It doesn't mean that nothing's going to happen unless you pray. God's going to do some things because of his commitment to us even if we forget to pray. Some things will happen only when we pray and they won't happen if we do not pray. Therefore, if I fail to pray today, something in my life or the life of someone I love may go undone. Now, it's not a, it's not a threat. If you don't pray, your children are going to you know, go to hell. If you don't pray, you're going to lose your job. No, it's, it's the emphasis that Dick Eastman is trying to make is this. When we pray, it opens the door for things to happen that might remain closed if we don't pray. And we don't want anything to go undone in the life of our loved ones. So we say we're going to pray. C.S. Lewis, I mentioned him a moment ago. He said as he began to mature in his faith in the Lord, um, he began to realize what I realized a little bit of uh, last night, seeing the, the lives that were invested and, and, and the journey that so many families are on. And this is what he said. Um, he, he was talking about betrayals and battles and brotherhood. He said, this thing called fellowship is, is incredibly layered and complex. But this is what he said. And I'm sorry I didn't put this in your notes. I should have. Um, Justin, maybe if you guys can help me remember, we can get it on the website tomorrow because it's one you want to remember. C.S. Lewis. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, he's not talking about that in a pagan sense. He's talking about the creatures that we will be when we get to heaven. Um, we, we think that the only change in us will be that we'll have a better hairdo, we'll wear a nice clean robe, and we'll probably speak King James English. 
But John said this, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, John was saying, you and I have no idea how majestic and how otherworldly we will be when we see him. We'll, who are we going to be made like? Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments? No, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. I'm sorry, let me start over. Y'all interrupted me. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you meet may one day be a creature that if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to fall down and worship. Or else a horror or a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in your worst nightmares. See what he's saying? He's saying we have no idea how majestic and godlike everybody you run into has the potential for being through Christ. Nor do we understand that they have the potential for being the most demonic, hideous, uh, uh, vile thing imaginable. They're on a journey just like we are. All day long, we are helping each other to one or the other of these two destinations, Lewis said. Everybody's headed to one of these two destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that I should now conduct all my dealings. There are no ordinary people. I have never met a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, Civilizations, these are all mortal. Their life is to ours as that of a gnat. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. The weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. Let me just repeat that. The weight or burden of my neighbor's glory. You say, what's he saying? Well, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed with the glory. Didn't say that we will see the glory that shall be revealed in us. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And be assured the backs of the proud will be broken. Loved ones, I, I, this isn't even the main point of the message, but the emphasis that, the second emphasis besides that we are prayed for. The second emphasis I want to point out to you today is that we need to pay attention to the one another verses. We need to understand, really understand that the first great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And the second great commandment is to love our neighbor, carry their weight of glory as we would love ourselves. That is the most underrated, that is the most undervalued commandment 
in all of God's word, in my opinion. The idea of of understanding that everybody has a weight of glory that should be laid daily on our backs. And he says it's a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. Only humility can carry it. When Samuel was so hurt that he had raised his sons to follow him into the ministry of prophet and priest, but um, they, they did not live the life that was worthy of that calling. And the people uh, said, we don't want to follow your son, Samuel. No offense to you, no offense to them personally, but this is not what we want. And Samuel was so hurt by that, he never voiced it that we know of. Um, he never he said, well, I'm going to go sit in the garden, eat worms and die. But when God spoke to Samuel, God saw right down deep into his heart. And this is what he said. He said, Samuel, don't feel rejected because in fact, they've not rejected you. They have rejected me. So God knew what was at the heart of Samuel's rejection. And the people of Israel weren't innocent. God said, they have rejected me. They haven't consulted me. They haven't, they haven't thought this thing through. They've said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king. And, and, but, but listen to Samuel's response. God didn't even ask Samuel if he was okay. He didn't ask Samuel if he wanted to continue therapy. He just said, this is not about you. This is about me. This is not uh, your load to carry. This is mine. And when Samuel told his farewell to the people of Israel. This is what he said. He said, know that I will always pray for you. Uh, King James puts it this way. Uh, you know, God forbid that I should sin by not praying for you. But what he was saying is I will always pray for you. Even though he had been hurt, even though he realized that he was probably exhausted after a long life of carrying other people's glory. He said, because if I stopped praying for you, that would be a sin. That would be a sin. And when we stop loving God, it's a sin. When we stop trusting God, it's a sin. And when we stop loving our brothers and sisters, it's a sin. It sounds hokey. It sounds like something from the 70s with flower power and make love, not war. But it's really, it's really the heart of the kingdom of God. We are not only being prayed for, but we should reciprocate. We should reciprocate by praying for others that are struggling in their journey just like we are. Just like we are. You remember the story Jesus told of the man that had been forgiven so much? It was an incalculable debt uh, for all intents and purposes, he could never pay it back. And when he saw one of his, and, and his master forgave him the debt, just wiped it off the books, just paid it in full. And when he left the presence of the master, he found someone that owed him a paltry amount. And he said, I'm going to throw you into prison until you pay every cent that you owe. And do you remember the response of the master? It wasn't anything to do with the amount owed. It was, it was that you have broken covenant. You are willing to be forgiven 
for things that are unforgivable, but you have, you have not even understood for a moment that you need to forgive the one that owes you money just as you've been forgiven. And because you don't understand that, you're going to get in trouble again. You're back on the hook and you're going to find out that you can let me handle it or you can handle it. And whenever you handle it, it's always a bad idea. You see, we need to remember, loved ones, as we're heading into the days ahead, and this could have been a sermon in itself, and you might look at your watch and say, well, why wasn't it? Um, but we need to understand that God is going to get us through this present time. But heaven's design is that we go through together. We go through together. No one left behind. Now, um, with that in, in mind, and it's like I said with, when we were dedicating um, Noah and, and Cohen a few minutes ago, you never know, just like, well, Simeon knew because of Revelation, but you never know what that bundle is in your arms. You never know what that person is you're sitting next to. You, you know, you... you you just never know what you come in contact with every day. The scripture says that sometimes we entertain angels unawares. Hey, hey, our kids reminded us of that last night. Sometimes the very people in our presence are people that we have no idea that we're in the realm of the heavenly. I, 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 I'm not here to tell angel stories, but one of my children was in an accident and the vehicle was totaled and I knew the child was okay. But when I got to the scene, when I got to the scene, people were leaving the scene, walking away. I was walking toward it and I heard someone say, I didn't think anybody was alive. And man, that, and then someone said, I wonder if the driver survived. A third person said, I can't believe that they walked away from it. And my heart is just about to explode. And then another person came and just locked eyes with me. I don't know who the person was. It was a young lady. I would have guessed mid-20s. But from a few yards away, she locked eyes with me. And as she got closer, she smiled and did something like this. And I thought, how does she know what's going on? How does she know that I'm the father? And that smile was like otherworldly. It flooded my world with peace. And when I walked past her in that thumbs up or whatever the gesture was, I thought, I'm, do I know her? And I turned to look. And she was nowhere to be found. I'm opting till I get a better theory that that was an angel. And, and I, I think we need to understand that we, we need to take seriously every presence in our life. Because we never know what we're in the presence of. So we need to pray for one another. Now, okay, well, what are the prayers that are prayed for me? Okay, let me, let me just hit these very quickly because I've used about half my time on praying for one another. That is the first point. Um, and, and it is this, this triad 
of protection that the Lord laid out and it's part of his kingdom. The first leg of that triad is that my fellow Christians are praying for me. Now I've got to tell you, it may seem like the weakest. It may seem like the least reliable, but I've come to believe after a lot of years of pastoring, there are people praying when you have no idea that people are praying. In fact, when I've gotten discouraged and I felt like nobody was praying, I've, I've come to find out that's usually when people are doing the most praying. It's like the devil doesn't want me to see the prayer that's going on, so I won't rally to that. He wants me to feel like I'm in the dark. And I tell you, Justin has done such a phenomenal job leading our prayer ministries. He has brought me, yeah, he has brought me such encouragement, so many testimonies. I had no idea what was going on. Loved ones, most of you don't have any idea of the pockets of prayer, the groups of prayer that go on in this church every day. Now, I know there's some super spirituals that you never pray enough. There's some people that you can never please. I know that. But don't pay attention to them. They don't even go to this church. Pay attention. <laughs> pay attention to what God is raising up. And, and I'm telling you, you'll be amazed at who's praying. Um, we, we, we need to remember James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. In other words, it, a lot comes from, righteous, uh, from a righteous person praying, especially when they put their heart in it. That's what effectual and fervent means. Now, let's just read uh, an example. It's one we've looked at many times before. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid his hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now, these were the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. So he's got 16 soldiers guarding him. We know from the rest of the story that he was behind three sets of prison gates, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. It's interesting to me how God is not afraid to paint the bleakest picture. And all he has to do is put one word in the narrative, but, but, and everything changes. Survivability of this disease is only 2%, but uh, you'll never be able to pay this debt off, but. You, you'll, never, you'll never win the heart of your wife back. But God loves to put the butts in the picture. Not, not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. He loves to put the butts in the picture. Now, um, the, the story's phenomenal to me because people have torn this apart I've heard people say, well, the reason James died and Peter didn't is because the church didn't pray for James and the church did pray for Peter. That's an argument from silence and it's a horrible argument. It's just the fruit of finding somebody to blame bad stuff on. 
I mean, it really is. You say, Pastor, what, how can you say that? Because we don't know, there's no reason to think they didn't pray for James. Absolutely no reason to think they didn't pray for James. That was the nature of the church. You go back to Acts chapter 4, and every time trouble came, the instinct of the church was to pray. I believe thoroughly they prayed for James. But you've got to understand, this is life. This is life. Sometimes we pray and people still die. Sometimes we don't pray and people still live. I, I, I don't have an under, you know, I don't have an accurate explanation. I don't have a good explanation for that, but quit looking for somebody to blame with James's death. And let's look at what God did reveal to us. Peter was in a hopeless situation. The anger of Herod had been stoked. The, the, the venom had been, uh, uh, you know, put on steroids and he had momentum now. He didn't have momentum when he killed James, but now it pleased so many people that uh, something can be dead wrong, but you'll be surprised how many people will stay on that course if they think they're pleasing people. So everything was stacked against him. Everything was stacked against him, but the people were praying. The same people that were there for James, uh, I believe, were there for Peter. Now, you know the story. Um, an angel wakes Peter up. Uh, he, the guards remain sleeping. Chains fall off. Three sets of prison doors open on their own without anybody seeing Peter get out. He thinks he's having a vision. And then when he gets outside and the fresh air hits him, he says, no, I'm awake. This is real. And meanwhile, at the house of prayer, people are praying, Lord, set our brother Simon free, release him from the prison, break his chains, send him here to us. And when the door knocked, uh, it took the courage of a little servant girl named Rhoda because they, they, were, they were wanted men, uh, all of them were. If James had been taken and Peter had been taken, everybody else was fair game. And they didn't want to answer the door, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't want to answer the door. But Rhoda went and she didn't open it. She said, who is it? And she heard the voice of Peter. And she got so excited. She's in a moment of destiny and history. She gets so excited, she runs in. And these people are saying, Lord, get him out of the prison cause the chains to fall off, let him escape and bring him here to us. And Rhoda comes in and she says, you won't believe it. Simon's at the door. God broke the chains off. God opened the prison doors. God let him escape and God brought him here to us. And they probably look at her and say, bless her heart. She snapped under the pressure. She snapped under the pressure. And she finally had to convince them that it was Peter. They said, it's his ghost. They killed him early and it's his ghost. You say, well, boy, I wouldn't even want people like that praying for me. Uh, loved ones, that's the kind of people who pray for you. That's the kind of pastors that pray for you. That's the kind of prayers we all get. We are not surrounded by people who are perfect prayers. Only Jesus is the perfect prayer. Only Jesus, you know, batted a thousand. But I want to tell you this, the more you walk in fellowship, the more you realize that people may not pray perfectly. People may not pray exactly the way you want them to pray. And I know what it's like. Sometimes people do in their best to help. Um, 
say the worst possible things imaginable and, and, and trying to be helpful. They can even become hurtful. I know that's true. That's true of all of us. But thank God you are also at least among a people that know what to do when trouble comes. You're, a, you're among a people whose default is to go to the Lord in prayer. And I'd rather be prayed for by somebody that doesn't pray perfectly than to not be prayed for by somebody that's straight as a gun barrel theologically. We need to understand we're all on a journey to something unimaginably beautiful or something, if we don't accept Jesus, unimaginably ugly. And we're all in transit. We're all in a journey. But thank God, the first leg of that triad is God says, pray one for another. Okay? Now, uh, he also tells us to pray for one another even, even when we're not at our best. What did Paul say to the Galatians? Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. See, there are going to be people that let you down, but you don't withhold your prayer. Learn from Simon, I mean from uh, Samuel. It would be a sin for me not to pray for people that have let me down. Understand that sometimes people are poor, poor examples of what it means to be a Christian. But that's not time for us to judge and withdraw. That's time for us to move in and help restore. And it's hard to remember, but that's our command. Now, the second thing, now we, we feel a little more comfortable with this because Jesus always gets it right. But the second thing is that Jesus is praying for me. You see, I don't know how well we teach it so that people keep it in their mind. When Jesus ascended, he, he's not in heaven just eating shrimp cocktails. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives. This is why he's there to make intercession for us. See, he, he, when, when it says he's seated, when you see the king seated, that doesn't mean he's not working. It means just the opposite. Whenever the king is seated, he's seated to administer justice, to administer the miraculous, to protect his people, to make decrees. He's seated at the right hand of Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. See, there are many priests under the old system. Death prevented them from remaining in office. But Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever, therefore. And therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You see, whatever I'm facing today, God, or Jesus saw it coming. He knew it was coming. He knew what it could do to me and he knows how he's going to get me through it. Let me give you an example. Whenever Jesus told the disciples that they were a special target of hell, you ever feel like that? A, a, a special target of hell. I, and, and I think we all have moments like that 
where even if it's not true, we feel it, but sometimes it is true. And Jesus told them they were a special target of hell. But listen to what he said. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. All of you. But, there's our friend Bud again. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now that tells me several things. That tells me, number one, Jesus knows what's going on in the heavenlies that we don't understand. That's why we, that's why we know Job's going to make it. God was, was superintending everything that was happening that Job had nothing, no idea about. Um, so he knows what Satan's up to. He knows what's coming and he knows what each of us need. See, he said, I prayed for all of you. I mean, he's asked uh, permission to sift all of you. All of you are going to go through an unbelievable trial. But he said, Peter, Peter, Simon, this is how I prayed for you. In other words, Jesus knows how to pray for all of us and care for all of us at the same time. But he knows what Glenn needs as opposed to anybody else. He knows what joy needs as opposed to anybody else. Those of you that are listening on live stream, you, you, you may not believe it, but he knows exactly what was coming your way in the mailbox or in the email or in the betrayal of a neighbor or whatever. He knew what was coming and he knew what would happen and he knows what you need and he even knows you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. He said, when you've turned back, when you've gone through this, strengthen your brothers. When Jesus prayed uh, that great high priestly prayer in Gethsemane, it was so beautiful. He prayed for our purity. Um, he prayed for our unity. But he also prayed for our security. And this is what he said in his prayer, depending on which version you read. He said it several times. Praying to the Father, he said, I have not lost one that you've given me. I keep them. I keep them. I keep them. I keep them. And with all of his petition for us is his assertion, and correctly so, that I've kept them. I've never let them go. I've never lost them. I've lost people. I, I've, I've lost people because they didn't want to be kept. I've lost people because I handled things poorly. We've all lost people. But Jesus keeps them even when we lose them. He keeps them even when we lose them. Now here's the last thing. We've got to stop because y'all have talked way too long. This triad, my, my brothers and sisters are praying for me. And even though it's possible that I could be going through a time when nobody's praying for me, um, it's probably not as likely as you think. God raises up people all the time to pray. Um, I, I tell my children, there's never been a day in your life, never has there been a day in your life that, that you have not been prayed for. I've never, there's never been a day. Now I could, I could have a stroke, I could have a heart attack, I could be unconscious, and I might not pray that day, but I think even my spirit would be praying then. You're never not prayed for. But even if something happens to daddy or to papa and I am not able to pray for you, Jesus never stops praying for you. 
and he remembers my prayers. He remembers my intercessions. That's the good thing about when we pray for people, our prayers live long past us. Our prayers live long past us. Um, but the third leg of that triad is the Holy Spirit prays for us. Now, some verses seem to indicate that like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always praying. He's always working. But we know there are also times when whether he comes or rises up in us, we're not sure what it is. But there are times that we know we're aware of the Spirit's intervention in our life. Even if he's there all the time, and I, I mean, I believe he is. We have his spirit in us. But there are times that the spirit expresses himself. It's otherworldly. It's, it's not the doctrine of every Christian group in the world. And we're not here today to nitpick with other groups or, or say who's right and who's wrong. We're just talking about our experience. We're talking about our doctrine. We believe that the Holy Spirit prays through us and for us at times we don't know how. Now, I, 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 when we talk about tongues, we're generally talking about a prayer language. We might ask people, have you received your prayer language? Because I believe that's one of the primary purposes of tongues. Um, but again, we have people from so many varied backgrounds. We're not trying to divide here, but we, we, believe, we believe that tongues is the privilege of every child of God. It, it's just, we're, we're not telling you if you haven't spoken in tongues, you're not this, or you have to speak in tongues to be this. We're not saying that. We're saying, I believe there's no reason for a child of God to not have that prayer language if, if, if they want it. Um, now, I know there are issues. Some people have been taught that if you speak in tongues, you're demon possessed. Um, some people have been taught a cessationism that there are no miracles, there are no kinds of manifestations of the Spirit. We could go on and on. Some people are just scared. Some people have had bad experiences. Somebody's got them in a prayer line and wiggled their golly hopper and told them to say something and whatever gibberish came out, they said, you got it, you got it, you got it. You can't teach people to speak in tongues and you sure can't wiggle them into speaking in tongues. But I want to, I want to take just maybe four or five minutes to explain this about about tongues. Um, there are um, different expressions of the Spirit that are the same in essence but different in purpose, we believe. Our church teaches that when the Spirit speaks, now don't get me wrong, He can speak in any tongue He chooses. He can, you can pray in the Spirit in your own language if it's Spirit energized. But I'm saying there are times that we are in over our heads, and I'm going to show that to you in Scripture in just a moment, and the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, there are at least three, perhaps as many as five usages of tongues, depending on how you classify them. Number one, you see in your notes, there are messages in tongues that should be interpreted. Um, <coughs> there, are, um, there are times, and it's, it's usually in smaller gatherings, uh, it's very difficult in a setting like this to have messages in tongues and interpretation just because of hearing. Um, we can't always hear what's going on out there. And um, we're not 
we're not making an excuse, just an explanation. But we do see messages in tongues frequently in our small groups, in our smaller settings, and we believe we ought to. Paul talked about the gift of tongues, and he would say this. He said, do all of you speak in tongues? With the emphasis being no. But that's not talking about prayer language like we're talking about. Paul was speaking in the context of spiritual gifts, like a message that needs to be interpreted. He said, not everybody has that gift. And Paul put restrictions. He said, you you really shouldn't do that unless there's an interpreter and you should only do it uh, on a limited scale. And he even tells us how many times you should have it done. He said, or people will think you're crazy, okay? But we believe in the power of a message in tongues and the gift of interpretation. We, We believe in that. We also believe that there is what we call worship and witness in the spirit. Uh, Some of the Old Testament rabbis talked about the tongues of angels that um, was part of the heavenly realm. We think that that is what Paul was talking about when he called tongues, tongues of angels in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the the tongues of men and of angels. Um, So there is worship and witness. Sometimes when someone is speaking in tongues, they are worshiping and they are giving witness to the glory of God. Through the years, I get emails from people. They'll say, Paul said that there shouldn't be more than two or three messages in tongues. But during worship, I heard 15 people speaking in tongues. You're out of order. No, they're not giving a message in tongues. They're worshiping God. And they're giving witness to the, to the wonderful works of God. And you're talking about apples and oranges. That's two different things. I'm not saying that to be belligerent. I'm just saying we... I think we Pentecostals need to quit playing defense and we need to understand that um, every writer of the New Testament was Pentecostal and every church in the New Testament was Pentecostal and it was not this strange group uh, uh, that had been marginalized and put over to the side. Um, So other than that, I have nothing controversial to say, but uh, Sometimes when it's worship or witness, it could be a known tongue or or an unknown tongue. But if it's tongues, if it's a known tongue, then it's an unlearned tongue. We know in Acts chapter 2 that many of them were speaking in in known tongues, but unlearned to them. There's a book I recommend to you by Ralph Harris. It's called Spoken by the Spirit. And it's about 15 or 18 incidents of people that were speaking in tongues, a language they didn't know, but it was understood by someone in the crowd. H.B. Garlock, missionary to Africa. I've told you about him. H.B. and his crowd went to a a place that had never heard the gospel before, and they were received by uh, these people and were invited for dinner. Not to have dinner, but to be dinner. And they they all knew they were about to die. H.B. said, "We, we, we felt this is what it's like to be a martyr. We were about to die for Christ. But one of the missionaries started crying out in tongues in a language he had no idea what he was doing. He thought he was just praying, interceding in the spirit. Uh, You know, Lord, receive our spirits as we come home. But as he prayed forcefully in tongues, it apparently was a known language to the people that wanted to kill them because one by one they began to drop to their knees and put their faces on the ground. 
And when the, the uh, I forget if it was the chief, the chief or the witch doctor, one that was high up, when they put their face to the ground, they snapped their fingers and told them to release <coughs> the missionaries with the strange message. And he says, we want nothing to do with this. Leave us and do not harm us and never come back to this place again. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit said, but I, I bet it was something that got their attention. It was apparently a known language or maybe just the presence of God. We don't know. But loved ones, I'm telling you that God says you're going to make it because your brothers and sisters are praying for you. You're going to make it because the great high priest never stops praying for you. And in moments when you are absolutely overwhelmed, the Holy Spirit can come upon you and pray through you. I'm not trying to tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, you're second class. I would never say something as foolish as that. I think sometimes Pentecostals have inferred that, uh, but I don't think that that's meant. It's certainly not meant here. But I do want you to know that I believe it is the heritage of every child of God. And, and I, I'm not saying you're less than if you don't, but I'm saying this, I'm not even asking you to come to a class. I'm asking you to take this matter of your prayer language, your supernatural prayer language, take it to God. And I trust him. I trust him. Listen to this text. Oh, oh, and I, I forgot to say this. Uh, I didn't even finish my point. Uh, we also know from Paul that there, there is singing in the spirit. Um, he said, I will sing with the understanding. I'll sing in the spirit. And Paul says there are times we sing in the spirit. And you remember one time with Charles Carr and a few years ago, he just led us in spiritual singing for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And phenomenal things began to happen. So you may sing in the spirit. You may pray in the spirit is the thing that I want to focus on. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. Now in the same way, the spirit also helps our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, 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 and that's a difficult translation into English groanings too deep for words. Basically what it is, is he intercedes with prayers that cannot be articulated. It's a prayer so deep that it cannot be articulated. It cannot be put into our vocabulary. And he who searches the hearts knows what, is the, what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. I've given you a testimony and I won't take time to do it today. I'll, I, will, I will take three to five minutes to wrap this thing up. But when I was just a young man in, in college and had a heartbreak that I thought would, had derailed my entire life, I had, I had prayed for a couple of weeks. I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get through it. And my mom washing dishes one day she said, uh, you're going to have to pray this thing through. The old, I tell you, the old timers, they didn't cut you a lot of slack. Uh, you're going to have to pray this through. And um, in fact, my mom was one of those that she said, you can tell who the people of prayer are in the church. And I said, how? She said, look at the toes of their shoes. She said, if the toes of their shoes are crinkled up, they kneel a lot. 
Now that might have been a terrible way to say who's a prayer, especially some of us take our shoes off when we pray. But anyway, she said, you need to pray this thing through. And I, I was offended. I was offended because I had done everything according to the book. I had taken everybody's advice. Nothing helped. And I said, I've, I have prayed. You know, I was, I was the seminary student or Bible college student. I don't need my mama to tell me how to get out of a problem. But boy, I tell you what, when I said I have prayed, she tensed up. And I saw, she plopped the dish back in the water and then, whoosh. and you know, when a mama does that, that finger is probably a good <laughs> cubit and a half long. And with, with suds and water dripping off her finger, she looked at me and she squared her shoulders and, and the spirit of God was all over. I thought she was going to punch me. You prayed, but you ain't prayed in the Holy Ghost. Then she went back washing dishes. Well, that weekend at church, I was just as hopeless as I had been. But I, her words wouldn't leave me. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. She said, God gave you a prayer language for this. The Holy Spirit knows how to pray with words you don't know how to say. That was her motto. The Holy Ghost knows how to pray with words you don't know how to say. And I remember when we had a guest evangelist, C.M. Ward. Some of you old timers will remember C.M. Ward as our great radio evangelist in the AG. Such a phenomenal preacher, but I couldn't tell you what he preached about. All I wanted was the altar call. It was like the thing at James Robinson. I answered an altar call not knowing what I was answering. I might have gone forward for battered housewives. I, I just don't know. But as soon as he opened the altar, I, I, that was as close as I've ever been to a run to the altar. And um, I thought I'd started about 12 feet out. I don't, my, my buddy said I wasn't that far away. But in my mind, I went down on my knees about 12 feet out and just slid into the altar and wrapped my arms around the altar. And... Uh, I didn't know. I, I'd pray. I'd prayed out. I was exhausted. Um, and in desperation, I just a thousand things went through my mind. I have nothing to say. I don't know what to say. And I remember saying one word. I just said, "Jesus." That's all I said. And then it was, as the scripture says, out of my innermost being, something began to boil up. I, it felt physical. It began to bubble and surge and rise up. And there came a torrent of words out of me, prayer in tongues. And it, there was an intensity. There was a clarity there was another worldly quality and it went on, I suppose, for about 20 minutes, not a word in English. I didn't have an idea of what I said, but I knew that my only hope was for the Spirit to pray for me with groanings that could not be uttered. You say, well, what happened? What did he say? I have no idea, but I know this. When the torrent of words left and I stopped praying, I had 
an incredible, indescribable, indefinable peace that just flooded my heart. And I knew that 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 everything was going to be all right. And it was. It, it turned out miraculously. Um, after that, I tried to worry. And I couldn't. The peace of God just began to flood. Uh, loved ones, some of you, especially some of you that are students, yeah, we all have a tendency to, to think if we can't fathom it with our brain, then I'm not going to latch on to that. But uh, I, I want to tell you that Scripture and divine truth is not the opposite of logic. It transcends logic. Logic will never be the counter to an experience with God. And I tell you one thing that you need and I need. We need to have the kind of relationship with God where we really believe it's not by might. It's not by power. Uh, it's not by intellect. It's not by science. It's not by logic. It's not by education, as good as all of those things are. I have no problem with education. I have no problem with those things as long as they all bow the knee to the spirit of the living God. Anything that we exalt, even to an equal plane with God, we've fallen from grace. Father, help us today. You know the battles that we fight. You know the lack that we endure. You know the questions that we can't answer. But you have given me friends that will pray for me. You have given me a high priest that is on the job day and night. And you have given me the indwelling spirit that comes in a way that my natural mind cannot understand. There are things that I need to articulate that are beyond my ability, but not beyond his. Father, I wanna pray for everybody first of all. I want to pray for everyone here to receive their prayer language. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. I wanna pray for everybody to be the best prayers they can be. I wanna pray for everyone to experience all that there is in the Lord. And I'm asking you to give them grace to take it to you because you can answer questions far better than I can. Secondly, Lord, there are people here today with deep trouble and difficulty, hurts and pains, rejections. There are some that don't know you as Savior, and this is a great day for them to turn to Jesus. And I ask that miracles would take place in the next few moments. In Jesus' name.